everybody, J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer, Jeff Ponce here. Baseball America podcast, World Baseball Classic podcast. We are still buzzing. Um, there might be a combination of sleep deprivation as well as just buzzing from the excitement of last night. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, March 21st, just a few hours after a sensational semifinal game between yeah. uh, Japan and Mexico. We, we've we had a lot of good games in this World Baseball Classic. Cuba, USA was maybe the exception. But Kyle, as someone who's been covering this, you know, all through the tournament, was that the best one last night? That was the best one, and that was one that, I mean, I was kind of shaking a little bit. Just the tension there as it was building toward the end, and then when Munitaka Murakami hit that double off the wall, given how bad he'd looked, how much he'd been struggling, how many opportunities Japan had not taken advantage of early in the game. It was just unbelievable. Um, the energy in the stadium was electric. And, and like you said, we've had some fantastic games. Just in Miami alone, you go back, Mexico was down 4 nothing, rallied to beat Puerto Rico 5-4 in the late innings in the first quarterfinal game. The second quarterfinal game, Trey Turner hits a go-ahead grand slam in the eighth inning to lift USA over Venezuela in a crazy back-and-forth game. And then you have this one that just topped it all. I mean, from Roki Sasaki coming in and, and blowing Randy Rosarino away with a 101.8-mile-an-hour fastball to start the game all the way through to Luis Uri, a shocking homer to put Mexico up 3-0, to Masataki Yoshida tying it 3-0, to Randy Rosarino doing everything he did and, and putting them back in the lead with that leadoff double and coming around on Alex Verdugo. Um, play at the plate. I mean, all of it was just insane leading up to the bottom of the ninth. And I mean, it was incredible. Uh, this is, it was one of those games that if you were there, you will always remember it, you know, up there with world series games up there with, you know, walk off wins to clinch pennants. Um, just the energy, the, the electricity in the stadium last night combined with the game that was played and the tension that was thick in the air there at the end. It was one of those games that this is what baseball is all about. It was one of those games that went three hours, 36 minutes, and no one cared. It was exciting and entertaining pretty much from start to finish. And we are, at Baseball America, we want to always, we, we don't ever want to become so jaded that we can't enjoy a moment like this. I don't think we ever will be. Yeah. But Jeff, for you also getting to be there in person, kind of starting with, hey, by the way, I'm going to be on the field watching Shoei Otani not just hit bombs, but hit, I, I, balls basically that were trying to leave a uh, you know a stadium that has a roof. What was it like for you to uh, to experience and enjoy that last night? Yeah, and I think um, you know overall, I mean, it was it was the best game that I've I've ever attended, the biggest game I've ever attended. I, I haven't seen playoff baseball live. I've watched plenty of it on TV over the years, World Series, etc. I've never been to a World Series game. Um, so that was, you know, that was the closest, that's the closest I've had to, you know, I guess my, my next best experience be like, you know, Patriots AFC championship games. And none of those were, were quite like walk-offs like this, this was, um, but it was a back and forth game. And like, I was just talking to my dad and my father is, you know, Portuguese and Brazilian and a huge, huge soccer fan. So he watches, you know, soccer all over the world consistently. The world cup is, you know, a holiday for several weeks in, in, you know, my house that I grew up in. Um, so I said to him, I said, just, you know, being out there in right field, I was, I was in the crowd. It was about 80% Mexican fans. And you know, it was like a soccer crowd. There were chants that were coordinated. You know, there was just random chants where the whole crowd went, went wild, um, singing particular songs together in unison. Like it was a lot like <laughs> what I would compare, like what you see when you're watching a big match, you know, in in in, in England in like the, the Premier League. Um, so it was, a, it was a different baseball environment on top of that. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just, you know, an unbelievable game back and forth. Um, two really good teams and a really good pitching matchup. Um, I wasn't behind home plate. I obviously got to see what was happening while I was there. I ended up coming home and rewatching the the rebroadcast of the game very very uh, early in the morning 
just so I could see Sandoval and Sasaki sort of going toe to toe. And um, this shouldn't shouldn't go understated. Like you know, uh, Patrick Sandoval really matched Roki and Sasaki. You know, blow for blow. Um, he looked great out there. Really did. And uh, you know, his stuff was was crisp and popping. And then you know, we got an appearance from um, Yomamato as well, who's probably the next big Japanese import to come over here. I believe next season, the season after. So kind of got a little bit of everything uh you know some previews for the for the prospect hound and myself but also just sort of the baseball fan it was it was impossible um not to enjoy the electric just environment that that the game took place in and we get to do it all again against the united states and, and that's super lineup tonight and we might get oh we might get shohei otani on the mountain relief or we should get shohei otani on the mountain relief so uh yeah, unbelievable. It was definitely, uh, you know, uh, something I'll, I'll always remember this game. You know, one thing I'll chime in with, something I, I hadn't thought about. So obviously, you know, we get to the game, pregame media, we're in the media sessions. And uh, just having been there, I, I kind of knew the routine and just wanted to show Jeff around and took him onto the field for BP. And it coincided really nicely. Murakami was finishing up his BP round, a couple other guys hit, and then Otani came out and did what he does in BP. And it's something that... I want to say I took it for granted because you never take watching Shohei Otani for granted, but living in Southern California, living 30 minutes from Angel Stadium, you know, being out there a lot, I've gotten to see Shohei Otani in person a lot, um, pitching, hitting, doing everything um, as a professional media member and also just, just someone who, who's there. And I didn't think twice about it. And Jeff mentioned watching him BP and and Jeff and many, many, many other media members and many, many other people in the crowd were slack-jawed watching Shohei Otani take BP, how easy he was hitting balls into the top deck, off the scoreboard. And obviously, it's impressive no matter what, but I realized for a lot of people, especially those on the East Coast, this was their first time ever seeing Shohei Otani in person. If you live in Miami, you don't have many opportunities to see Shohei Otani in person. I, I need to check... I, I'm sure the Angels have played the Marlins at some point in the interleague, but I, I don't know if he's come here. And, you know, this was also an opportunity we talked about for people to see so many great players that they don't normally see in the context of guys who are playing in Japan. But for a lot of people, this is also an opportunity to see some of the best big leaguers they rarely, if ever, get to see. And and for a lot of people, watching Shohei Otani last night take BP, and it was just a BP show, that double to lead off the ninth, that got everything going. Um it was a way to, to kind of appreciate him in person for the first time. Now, if he gets a chance to pitch tonight, it's going to be really special. Again, I feel very fortunate to, to live in a place where I get to watch him a lot. But for a lot of people, it kind of clicked last night. This was the first time really thousands of people had ever gotten to see him, if you know, if not more. Yeah, and I'll put it, put it in perspective, too. Like, you know, I see whatever, 100 games last year. I see a ton of BP rounds. The majority of it is college players in the Cape and – uh you know minor leaguers and you know the closest like thing that i have to compare it to and i i had seen some red sox bp and stuff like that was going to the all-star game with my dad at fenway and seeing mark mcguire take bp rounds at, at, at fenway and um you know it was funny because it, it was similar in the sense that everybody in the park at that point that was in there before the game was tuned into Otani's BP. Everybody was like focused on it. People were cheering when he was putting balls into the upper deck. <laughs> oh, at a stadium that's incredibly hard to hit balls that far in. Um, you know, and and the thing that kept sticking in my mind, and even like talking to him, like when I was in the, the Japanese scrum area after the game, um, it's a it's a lazy comparison sometimes, but I, but I do think that this is the closest thing we've had to like Babe Ruth um, in the game, just from you know how magnetic he is when he's on the field and the things that he can do, and just sort of the folklore that goes along with this guy. Um, he's really delivered on everything that we thought he could be, and even like the stuff that we thought was hyperbole when he first came over. Um, you know, like we heard about like. Um, Matsuzaka's like gyro ball. And then it was like, oh yeah, Otani went out. And it was like, yeah, this this, this is real. <laughs> like everything they said is a hundred percent accurate. Cool. And um it's just a it's a pleasure to watch him play. I'm excited to get to see him again uh, tonight. So so that's what I, I kind of felt like 
as we got to the late innings of that game and Japan was running out of outs, after Otani walked, I guess, in the seventh, to me, like one of the whole questions was, if you're Japan, you had to figure out a way to get Otani back to the plate again in that game. And they did to lead off the ninth. And as Jeff mentioned, he starts it all. The other part of that, though, Kyle, is that there was no part of this where you would say that getting Munitaka Murakami to the plate was going to be the key for Japan because as great as he is, as great a season as he had last year, if you were saying, who is the Japanese hitter who seemed most lost at the plate, even in that game, it was the guy who ended up producing the biggest hit of uh, of the World Baseball Classic so far for Japan. Yeah, Murakami is one of the best young hitters in Japan. As I wrote in our story today, it's up online at BaseballAmerica.com. 56 homers last year, won the Triple Crown in Japan Central League, won his second straight MVP award. I mean, this guy is a fantastic hitter, but he had really, really, really struggled. Three strikeouts, his first three at-bats last night. He was hitting a buck 90 with 11 strikeouts and 21 ABs leading into that at-bat in the ninth inning in the WBC. And he was remarkably candid in the post-game presser. Um, obviously, it's it's through an interpreter, so maybe you know a few things might have gotten lost in, in, in translation. But, I mean, he used the words. He was really depressed about where he was just mentally and physically in the batter's box. His, his words, really depressed. He mentioned he twice, he, he repeated it, how he thought about bunting because he just had no confidence up there. He thought, I'll bunt, you know, get these guys over and let someone else in because I've got no, sh- let someone else try and drive them in because I got no shot right now. I mean, that's where he was mentally. He talked about at one point he thought he was going to get pinch hit for because he'd been struggling so badly. I mean, he was, he was in a really, really, really bad place mentally. And, you know, Coach Hideki Kuriyama, who you have to remember was the guy who, helped develop Otani as a two-way player when Kuriyama was the manager for the Ponham fighters. He's a little bit more younger and new school than some of the classic Japanese managers and um, brings a little bit new energy. And he told Murakami, hey, go do what you do. Go hit. We, we believe in you. You got this. And Murakami did. Um, you know, I, I put the picture up uh, on our story today, but you can just see the elation on his face, you know, letting go of, of the pain and the sadness and, and all the tension he felt. Um, I mean, he ripped that ball off the bat and then just watching it all happen, you know, Otani racing around from second to home with uh, the pinch hitter right behind him, you know, flying right behind him and just seeing what was happening. And the entire Japanese, you know, dugout coming out and waving in the winning run and, and meeting them at the plate. It, it was unbelievable. It will be forever etched into my memory. Um, but but Murakami in particular, I think the moment just watching what was happening on the field was spectacular, given how much he'd struggled for him to come up with that hit. But hearing him talk after the game again about just how low he was mentally um, and what that meant to him getting that hit. It was just super cool. I mean, from just a human interest perspective, um, it's just a remarkable moment on so many different levels. And again, I just go back to what a finish. Whole, whole, I kept thinking to myself, holy expletive. Like as this game was was finishing up, like, oh my God. <laughs> the, the other thing that I think it, it kind of doesn't get lost, but because the game was so good, we, we kind of, shift to the background, the thing that I think was the thing I was most excited about going into this game, which is if you are paying attention going into this game, you knew that getting a chance to see Roki Sasaki pitch in the U S was important. And I, I can't, ima- I, I can't describe how much hype there was revolving around that. If you follow Kyle wrote a story I wrote last year. We've been writing it. You know, Jeff's written about, we've all written about Roki Sasaki and how good this guy. And, and this is the key thing I did want to, as I was watching on the broadcast, there was a lot of talk about his potential and his future and all that. It's not how good Roki Sasaki could be. It's how good Roki Sasaki is. It's, it's stupid to talk about his potential because there is no higher gear than this. That's like watching Jake DeGrom pitch and go, you know, I just wonder what he could be someday. It's like, no, he's sitting there. Roki Sasaki sat over 100 miles an hour with his fastball. 
he manipulates a splitter that almost becomes multiple pitches that he can throw in and out of the zone. Mexico was putting together great at-bats against him, but there still were times like that first Randy Arozarena at-bat where you're like, here it is, you've got no hope, just go sit down. Jeff, you were eagerly anticipating this. Did he live up? I I described it as like that first inning was kind of DeGromian, and which I know is a lot to put on a guy, but there aren't a whole lot of players who have that kind of fastball movement to go with 102 also. Yeah, he's really unique. Um, and I was kind of bouncing stuff off of um, some analyst friends last night that that had watched it. Because um, the sense of like, you know, he's he's a, a, a pronator, so, you know, it's a pretty efficient fastball. But um, he sort of does some things that are a little bit different than um, a lot of other sort of pronation type profiles in terms of how he throws. Um, it's a really efficient high spin fastball too. It's really unique where there aren't many fastballs that have like 2,500 RPM spin, spin rates and, you know, and it's like 99% efficiency. Uh, so he gets really heavy bore, um, you know, almost, almost similar to Garrett Cole. Um, in terms of like how that moves, there aren't many guys that can do that just in the world. Um, the the splitter itself is 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 a wild pitch. It's like a it's like a gyro splitter. Um, so at times he will get cut on it, and you almost think it's a breaking ball. Like they whoever like strung them last night at the game was like more or less like listing every single pitch as like a cutter, and they weren't. Um, I think he maybe threw like three cutters like the entire game. Um, the one thing I'll say that he he needs to improve on is if we get this guy to like, you know, a lab or drive line or something and figure out like a lower spin, like sweeper or breaking ball, I think that's sort of the last component that he has missing. Um, if, you know, if he could add a breaking ball the way like Yomamato has a breaking ball, uh, I think that would sort of put him into the, that next stratosphere in terms of the best pitcher alive. Um, but this guy is an easy front of the rotation arm right now um, to talk about the promise or whatever, uh, I think is is a little goofy and just sort of based on uh, what the age of the player was. Because honestly, when you watch this guy, it's like, yeah, that guy would be a number two starter on every single team at minimum in baseball and probably a majority of teams number ones. And he's this young and he's going to get better. Um and he just has a, a level of velocity that is really unusual. You know, um, I've seen in the last calendar year, Grayson, Yuri Perez, Andrew Painter, and, you know, this guy is far more advanced and more powerful than any of those guys are. And I'm saying a lot. I, I will say one thing that I, I noticed, and I was, you know, in the press box um, behind the plate, so I had a little bit of a different vantage point than Jeff. And obviously, I mean, look, it's incredibly impressive. His fastball averaged 100.5 miles an hour. Averaged. Um, you know, we saw his ability to blow guys away at 102. Um, you know, we saw a lot of swings and misses. You mentioned that splitter. He has that ability to cut it. And he can cut it, you know, both ways uh, to lefties and righties, just depending on how he wants to do it. And that's a really, really special um, ability that he has. I think one thing I did notice is the fastball for all the velocity and all the movement didn't miss that many bats. He only got uh, two swings and misses on that fastball. And while there wasn't a lot of hard contact against it, there was a lot of contact. And that's, you know, Mexico was able to string some things together there in the fourth. Uh, Rowdy Telez through the shift, Isaac Paredes or Isak Paredes, excuse me, that broken bat flare in the left field. Uh, they give up a couple of hits. And, and again, it did jump out the fastball. Mexico was able to get a barrel on it, or I should say get the bat on it. It wasn't always a barrel. Um, but he really only made one mistake, and that was that splitter he hung over the plate to Luis Urias, and, and Urias hammered it. I mean, as yes. soon as he connected, you knew that thing was gone. And that's where you see Roku Sasaki. And, and I think it was good, too, to kind of separate, okay, you know, here's the myth and here's the man. Here's what we're seeing. He's incredibly talented i mean the stuff is, is something else um the splitter is incredible he's got a good slider he actually does have a curveball with some sweep he didn't throw it last night he has to throw it very often but he does have it um but i think for me it was like seeing okay he's fantastic but this was also his first time facing a lineup of big league hitters every hitter in mexico's lineup is an active major leaguer and you know they were able to 
you know, hit his fastball a little bit and he made one mistake and he paid for it. So it's still a young pitcher who still has some things to work on, but the talent level is, is absurd. And again, you can say the same thing about dozens or hundreds of young pitchers in the big leagues. Yeah, they're good. They're talented. They have things to work on. And Sasaki's way ahead of where they are. So, I mean, there's no doubt in any quarter, yeah, he could pitch in the major leagues today and he would be a top two starter on most teams. But you also saw there's still some things here he's going to have to tweak and improve well, upon before he comes over. The, the point I would make with that is, is when I, I didn't make it very well is, is like, I remember watching Steven Strasburg's debut. I remember watching Kerry Wood when Kerry Wood was, you know, young. The thing about it is, is by the time, and by the way, it's going to be, it looks like probably a while before Roki Sasaki comes over to the U.S. if he does, because some players decide they just want to play in Japan and that's okay too. It's a major league. But the thing that stands out to me, by the time he does, he probably won't be this. And I mean he'll that be better. from the standpoint. <laughs> yeah. I, he'll be better and worse is what I think. I think he'll be better from the standpoint of he'll know how to pitch better. But at the same time, when I see a guy at this age who throws this hard, like I remember when like Steven Strasburg became a better pitcher, you know, until he had the injuries during the course of his career with the Nationals. But at the same time, if you look at peak Steven Strasburg, the pitcher, and you compare that to peak Steven Strasburg in his debut against the Pirates, the pure stuff wasn't as good because it's hard to maintain that level of stuff. Like when we look at Kerry Wood, Kerry Wood, obviously injuries, you always fear injuries with a pitcher, but you also fear wear and tear. And the thing that Kerry Wood had when he was very young in his career at the big league level was is is like he was just at a different level stuff wise. I do fear that by the time Roki Sasaki comes over to the state, pure stuff wise, he may not be as good now. But at the same time, he also may be a way better pitcher. He may have developed. He may be craftier than he is now. I don't think that we saw his split. You you've all both watched, I think, games from him in Japan. The thing that I, that stood out to me last night is is some really good takes by Mexico for one thing, but at the same time. He was not commanding his split like I feel like he does at his best, where when he has that, like John Smoltz talked about when he's he located a fastball down and then he threw the split. He's like, I don't know how you hit the split if he's locating his fastball there. But the other part of this is he can sometimes locate that split just so borderline on the at the edge of the zone, where it's like you don't know how to take it and you don't know how to swing at it because it's playing with the fastball. And that's where. I feel like he didn't always have that last night. Again, it was it was one mistake and a very good outing. Although, as as I think Jeff, you noted, Patrick Sandoval was even better. Um, and credit to him for that. But it did it, it did stand out from that standpoint. Like, okay, we saw him very good last night. I don't know if we saw him at his best, which may also be part of the fact that credit to Japan. There also has to be some jet lag going on there. I know they've been here a couple of days. But that's a 13-hour time dis- difference. And speaking of that, another guy who came through last night. So to, I'll start with you, Kyle. But like, I, I, I think we should talk about that, that Masataka Yoshida, yeah. both offensively and defensively, was impressive last night. And that's, if you're a Red Sox fan, obviously it's very important. But if you're a Samurai Japan fan last night, it was even more important, especially that home run down the line. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Jeff about this during the game, and I swear Jeff can verify this. This was before he hit the homer. You know, watching Yoshida, his first two at-bats, first two singles, tough left-on-left matchups against Sandoval. And I had watched a good bit of him on TV as well, and I, I mentioned Jeff, he looks really good. You know, when he was signed, there was a lot of criticism directed at the Red Sox for how much they paid him and, you know, whether or not he was worth it. And, and I heard it too. I talked about it. Um, but on every podcast, I also mentioned, you know, the Red Sox devote more time and resources to scouting Asia than most other teams do. And while, you know, yeah, they're probably sticking their neck out here a little bit, it's also very possible they're right, just because, again, they're over there with with a more consistent, larger presence than a lot of other teams. And I have to say, after watching Yoshida in the WBC on television and in person, I have no doubt this guy's going to hit the major leagues. Um, the quality of at-bats he was putting together, you know, left-on-left left against a very good pitcher, you know, Patrick Sandoval has a sub-3 ERA in the major leagues, at least he did last year. He's a really good pitcher, even if people don't know about him like they should. Um, 
it was just impressive that, you know, threw out a guy at the plate, which, you know, his arm was not supposed to be very good. And, and that was a big, big moment there. You want to talk about underrated moments. You know, Isak Paredes, you know, that could have been a two-run single to make it 6-3. Yoshida throwing out the trailing runner at the plate to keep it 5-3. That proved to be really, really, really big for Japan and made the lead uh, a little less daunting. But, you know, that homer, I mean, I mean, he's been looking so good, locked in, great at-bats, great takes, great swings, great everything. He's moving well out there. It's like, yeah, this looks like a good player who's going to hit the big leagues. And then, you know, that was a that was a good pitch Jojo Romero threw. I mean, you never want to throw it down and into a lefty, but a, a left-on-left, left, it was a good changeup. It was off the plate. Like, it's not like he hung anything over the heart of the plate. It's not like he he missed a fastball, you know, missed a spot with a fastball. Like, it was a changeup out of the zone. And Yoshida dropped the barrel, and and I mean, you know, we've been wondering about his power. It's in there. I mean, he he got all that one. That was a towering drive down the right field line that clanged off that white pillar, and you know, left with some room to spare. I mean, talk about playing up to the moment. He looks every part the pit the bit of a really good hitter who's not daunted by the big stage and can hit, you know, the best big league offerings that 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 guys have to offer. Um, yeah, he's probably been the guy that I've come away most impressed with on Japan this year. Outside, aside from obviously, you know what Otani can do. Um, Lars Dubar has been fantastic, but just in terms of Yoshida being a guy, not a whole lot of people knew much about or had seen. Obviously, with everything that happened after he signed and what people were saying about him, seeing him actually on the field playing, it's like, okay, yeah, this guy's good. But the Red Sox, at the very least, got themselves a really, really good hitter. And, and seeing him throw a runner out at left field last night, he's, from left field last night, he's moving around okay out there too. Um, I think he has a chance to be a little bit better defensively. Not not quite the the Kyle Schwarber level defender he's been made out to be. I think he has a chance to to do a little more than that. So, Jeff, anything else that stood out to you uh, about Yoshida? Yeah, I mean, just kind of echo um, Kyle's comments there. Uh, you know, that was a big throw. Um, it was an absolute hose. I think, you know, it's one of those where you're kind of like, all right, like, how is this going to go? Are they going to hit the cutoff man? Is he going to bounce it to the plate? You threw that ball in a line and it bounced. It was a one hopper, but it was on line. Was it a one hopper? It was a one hopper, but I mean, it was, um, it was a good throw. It was online, like 88.7 mile an hour, which is not like exceptional by any means, but it was online and had, pretty good. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not Jackie Bradley Jr. throwing a hundred in center, but at 88, it's no. going to play. But, but it's um, also not Johnny Damon. You know, that's the thing. It had been made out to be a, a 30 <laughs> to 40 grade arm. It's like, no, that, that, that was a 50 throw right there. Yeah. Well, I think the thing I was going to say is he got the guy by about five or six steps. Like it really wasn't much of a play in terms of, um, you know, like you knew, you knew he was going to be out. Like the tag was applied. It was fine. Um, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bang, bang play either. So um, big play out there and left. I thought the the at bats were great. Um, you know, it was able to pull a ball down the line. I was right, like twenty feet away, watching the ball, sort of being like, "Is it going to stay fair? Is it going to stay fair?" And kind of, you know, skirts right by the by the foul pole. Um, so yeah, that was a huge moment, and uh, it sort of really just changed the game because uh, up to that point, Mexico was the only one that had gotten on the board. Their pitching staff was really stifling the entire Japanese lineup. Um, and you know, that got them back into the game. It was a big momentum swing. Um, and you know, I think it, it sort of set the stage for what was to play out over the next couple of innings. Um, you know, when Mexico sort of counterpunched and then we saw, you know, the, the final sort of blow for Japan where, um, you know, they walk it off. So the other thing that we do need to give them a, a, a proper postmortem, Kyle, is Mexico, they they their their first trip to the semis, and and I feel like that this is a team that will be remembered very fondly in Mexico for many many years to come. I, I think it'll be remembered very fondly, no matter if you're a team Mexico fan or not. Especially, I mean, we, I think we have to tip the cowboy hat. You know, the cowboy hat that he wears while shagging with his boots. But got to tip a cowboy hat to Randy Rosarena, who was everything he could have done last night. He's done everything he could in the entire tournament but also throws in maybe the greatest home run robbery celebration ever by not celebrating, by just standing there as just the baddest dude on the field. Like, what can you say for Mexico, but also for Randy Orozarena? 
Yeah, Benji Gill raised this, and I wasn't aware of it, um, but I, I think it's right just looking and, and doing some research. This is the farthest any Mexican national team has ever advanced in any international sporting event, any sport. They've never made it to the semis in, in World Cup soccer. They've never reached the semis in, uh, again, you know, basketball tournaments. I mean, any sport. This was the furthest any Max Mexican national team ha has ever advanced. And it was just so impressive the whole way through. I mean, they won Pool C, not Team USA. When they and Team USA got on the field together, Mexico stomped them. I mean, just absolutely crushed them. They beat Puerto Rico. They, I mean, to take down Team USA and Puerto Rico, the defending World Baseball Classic champion and the defending World Baseball Classic runner-up in the same tournament, that's impressive as heck. And they had Japan on the ropes. As Jeff mentioned, they were up 3 nothing the whole way until Yoshida hit that game tying a homer. As soon as he did, they came right back and retook the lead 5-3. Mexico never trailed last night until the winning run crossed the plate, which makes it harder to lose that game. But, I mean, they played up to whatever competition level they had to. They took down the tournament titans. I mean, we talk about taking down Team USA and Team Puerto Rico. They took down Roki Sasaki. When when Roki Sasaki left that game, Mexico was winning 3-0. Um just a super impressive performance all the way around the offense, one to nine. You know, Joy Manessas, Isaac Paredes, you know, Luis Urias had struggled early. He came up with some big hits. Austin Barnes, Alexis Wilson, their backup catcher, who was going to be their bullpen catcher, came up with two big RBIs to help them win the finale of pool play. Um, pitching staff wise, Patrick Sandoval was great. Julio Urias pitched well. Um, they had some great outings from Giovanni Gallegos before last night. It was just so impressive. And Benji Gill talked about this post game. You know, he felt like this team didn't just raise the hopes for all Mexican baseball players. And again, it's probably a little hyperbolic, but he talked about, you know, anyone from Mexico watching, whatever you dreamed of being, you can accomplish it. If you want to be a great doctor, you can do it. If you want to be an astronaut, you can do it. If you want to do anything, you can, because this these were great baseball players and they accomplished this. And, and it's a little thing I think we take for granted in the U.S. sometimes this no Mexican team had ever done this before. It kind of shows, you know, everyone in Mexico, the kids in Mexico, what's possible, what you can achieve on a world stage. And that was really, really meaningful for, for this country. Um, you know, this is the greatest Mexican national baseball team that has ever played at any international tournament by results, period. Uh, and you look at the roster too, by talent. And it, it was really, really cool to see. And, and then Randy Rosarena, I mean, you know, I covered for us the 2020 ALDS and 2020 ALCS because they were at Petco Park, you remember, during the COVID year. And mm -hmm. I watched the birth of Randy and Rosarena live. I was one of the few people in the park because fans weren't allowed in. Media was. And what he has done here at the WBC has been every bit as impressive and probably even more so because he did it with the glove, too. I mean, he had a great leaping catch the other night to preserve the lead uh, in the, in the Mexico-Puerto Rico game. Then he has the home run robbery last night, which was unbelievable combined with, you're right, an insanely, you know, just, yeah, just stunting celebration. That's the best word I can put for it. And he makes two running catches to end threats later in, in the next two yeah. as well. So, I mean, yeah. he was everywhere. And at the plate, he got everything started, that leadoff double, and scored the go-ahead run in the eighth. I mean, there's nothing Randy Rosarena could not do uh, during these, these last 10 days, and it was – amazing to watch he he has also cemented himself into mexican baseball or he did that when they got out of pool play and beat canada i wrote about then this is just all gravy uh, this is an incredible player with an incredible feel for rising to the occasion of big moments and i mean it's definitely one of those things where you know what's the postseason of the wbc it's just randy or rosarina's world and we're all living in it so i it was amazing by the way i, I mean i i agree with benji gill Mexico has four silver medals in the baseball world cup, but those were all in the forties and fifties when it was really kind of like a substitute Caribbean series. Um, I, the first one was in 43, you know, if you might notice, like there weren't a whole lot of teams available to play in 1943, like Cuba, them Panama were like, Hey, we're not busy. Maybe everyone else is with world war, you know, with, with, uh, world war two. So, um, yeah, you, you this is, I, I do believe that, you know, this is a another level for, for international baseball in Mexico. 
but that leads us to today. So now today we have the two powers of international baseball in the 21st century. If you go back to the 20th century, there was a time where Cuba was the power of international baseball. And you can rightfully argue that a lot of that was Cuban, basically the top Cuban players playing amateurs and younger players from other countries and all that. But all that being said, there was a time when Cuba just won everything. Pedro Lazo, the pitching coach, you know, for Cuba now was part of those, te- you know, the last era of those teams and Ariel Pastano and, you know, even Yerli Guriel, we see still playing and all that. But you look at over the last 10, 15 years, we have Japan's already won two World Baseball Classics. The U.S. is the defending champions. It is kind of fitting that these are the last two teams to face off. These are the last two teams. And essentially, either Japan is going to put that stamp on it, three WBCs when no one else has won more than one, would be incredibly impressive. Or Team USA is going to be able to say, hey, it's two for two, two and two now. And not only that, but Japan's last win would have been a generation ago. That was a team that had, yes, it does had did have you Darvish, but it also had Ichiro, like who's been retired for a little while now. So it's going to be great tonight. Uh, Jeff, I want to come to you first. I went to Kyle. Like, what are you most looking forward to? What are you most looking to see tonight in this championship game? Um, I think, you know, it's the, the lowest hanging fruit here. I want to see Mike Trout against Shohei Otani. You know, I want to see Otani come in, big moment. If it's a tied game, gets to face Mike Trout, you know, arguably, you know, the two best baseball players of the, you know, the last 15, 20 years, even um, two of the greatest baseball players of all time, teammates, something we haven't seen yet. Uh, so for me, I think that will be a big moment. I think for both of those guys, just sort of knowing how, how they are um, will be a big moment for them as well. Um, so that to me that, you know, we talk about tonight, that's, that's the thing I'm looking forward to most. I want to see a great game. Um, you know, I want to see the passion on both sides. I think, you know, we'll see sort of, you know, each team sort of throw everything that they have at it. Uh, you know, the entire, you know, kitchen sink, uh, in terms of what options that each team has available for pitching. Um, so to me, I think that's the biggest one though. I want, I want to see Trout versus Otani and regardless of what happens there, uh, it should be an electric couple of minutes. I I do want to get to Kyle to hear your thoughts, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back. So Kyle, you've seen, you've been tracing this Team USA going back to the first round to pool play and all that. It's not been always the easiest path for Team USA here, but they're here, which let's say at this point, for all their struggles that they had at times in pool play, for being on the ropes in the quarterfinal. It's all about what you do on the field. And here they are. They're playing for a championship. Losing to Japan tonight against when you're likely to face uh, Darvish and Shoei Otani is not anything that can be described as you failed to live up to potential. Oh, how embarrassing. No, there's no embarrassment left. USA Baseball will either be the champion or the runners-up of this. What are you looking for and... What are you what are you expecting to see? Yeah, so I think the main matchup that I'm looking for to kind of expand on Jeff's point before the break about Otani versus Trout is, is Japan's pitchers versus Team USA's lineup. Those are the two strengths of these teams. We've talked about it ad nauseum that Japan has a pitching staff that would be a playoff caliber staff in the big leagues, their starting rotation and their bullpen. It's the type of staff that you could roll into with a World Series and be like, yeah, we feel really good about our chances. And again, that's not hyperbole. That's backed up by scouts, front office officials. I had that reiterated to me last night by another pro scouting director that, yeah, this is a World Series caliber pitching staff and rotation. And we all know about TBOSA's lineup. Um, It's ridiculous. It's all-stars on the bench and three MVP award winners. So that's the matchup I'm most watching for. I think the the main thing that has changed for Team USA, I've 
have them since the start of pool play and seeing the team they were in pool play versus the team they are now it's it's two completely different teams and yes some of it is hey they've got their feet under them a little bit you know they're not coming fresh out of 20 at bats in spring training they've got a few games and in, in real time now under their belts but i think there, there's two things that have happened that we need to give mark DeRosa credit for and he's certainly been subject to a lot of criticism this tournament and some of it deserved. Um, his bullpen management with Daniel Bard and, and the quarterfinal against Venezuela was, was not good. But there are two things he did that proved to be more important strategically that have made a big difference for Team USA. The first of them was shuffling the rotation to get Lance Lynn to start that game against Venezuela and moving Adam Wainwright to start against Cuba. Lance Lynn was Team USA's only pitcher who had any combination of, of stuff and control during pool play against that Venezuelan lineup. He was their only starter that had a chance to, to hold it down. And you know that, that was a tough conversation to have. He talked about that, going to Adam Wainwright and saying, hey, I know it's your day to start, but we're going to push you back and let Lance take this tonight. Um, it's a tough conversation to have, but it, it was the right call. And I think it showed true leadership and a recognition of, of what needed to happen for Team USA to have its best chance to win it. And Lance Lynn did his job. Um, so I think, I think DeRosa and his staff deserve credit for that, recognizing it making the call and, and sticking with it in the face of what I'm sure was some pretty you know significant pushback. But the second thing too is, look, Team USA was dead. They were sluggish. There was no energy at all in pool play. You know, they be, they got slaughtered by Mexico. They came back and beat Canada, said that woke them up, and then they slept, walked through their game against Colombia as well. Um, it, it was not encouraging at all, these energy levels. And also just the level of focus and engagement. They were dead on the bench. They were not sharp in the field. It was it was not good. They, they just were not into it mentally. You could see it. And before the Venezuela game, Mark DeRosa talked to them in the clubhouse about you know, he played in the Venezuela the winter league. He remembers those Caracas Magallanes games, which are absolutely wild. And he knew that Venezuela was going to bring exorbitant amounts of energy to the ballpark that night. They were going to celebrate every hit, every strikeout, every everything. They were going to go wild. And Team USA's only chance, they had to match that energy from the first pitch to the last. Otherwise, they were not going to have a shot. I, I used the word they were going to get smacked on our pregame podcast about that. I, I might have used different words if I, if I could redo it. But the overall point stood. If they were not able to match Mexico's energy, engagement, focus, effort level, they were going to lose and lose badly. And to their credit, Mark DeRosa knew it. He told he told them, you have to get to this level if we want to win. And his players responded from the first pitch. You could see it. Guys, everyone's up on the railing. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're pumping their fist. They didn't do any of that during pool play, not consistently anyway. And to see the energy level they were playing with, they were much sharper in the field. The quality of the at-bats was significantly better. Everything was better. And then they just completely overmatched uh, a Cuba team that, that didn't have the horses to hang with USA, but neither did Columbia or Great Britain, and Columbia and Great Britain hung with Team USA. So it was also good to see Team USA not have a letdown after that big, big win over Venezuela to maintain the energy levels, to come out every bit as sharp, every bit as focused, and pour it on Cuba. This is a different team, and I think, again, give Mark DeRosa and his staff credit for, for creating that environment, that atmosphere of this is where you have to get to. And Team USA finally looks like the Team USA we thought they'd be. And that's how you'd want it, to be in the finals with Team USA playing its best baseball, with Japan undefeated in the tournament, coming off a huge win. Um, this is what everyone hoped for and what everyone wanted to see, and we're getting it. So the other thing that we're going to get is a little bit of a surprise uh, for Japan. We thought that we are going to see Yu Darvish getting the start, but actually we're going to get Shoto Imanaga, who's, again, the the fifth starter for Japan. Now that's not a, a, a giant, like this is not, Oh, the fifth starter, like in a regular season, this is a guy who's a very well accomplished lefty, but is a little different than everything that we've seen from Japan so far. This is a team that's kind of overwhelmed people with velocity. He's likes to mess with timing by pausing in his delivery, all that. But, but I also think, Kyle, that this is a strategic decision as well, potentially. It when you look at this team USA lineup and how it's constructed, does this kind of give Mark DeRosa kind of a more difficult decision to make, knowing that he's facing a, a little bit different kind of lefty? 
to a degree uh, again you're going from you know potentially kind of that that pitch ability lefty who can you know mix and match and mess with your timing to oh and here's you darvish out of the bullpen and here's shohei otani out of the bullpen you know guys who can who can bring it although darvish also has a crazy assortment of pitches too um you know it's 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 a tough adjustment to make mid game at the same time you know this team usa lineup is is too supremely talented and we kind of saw venezuela try to do the same thing starting martin perez starting you know lefty who's you know more you know softer stuff comparatively to some of the other guys on the staff um you know maybe some pitch to contact you know change ups down the way and team usa jumped on him uh sent him from the game and in 16 pitches led five nothing so We'll see if the strategy works. Um, Imanaga, to be clear, is a really good pitcher, and he's someone people talked about in the scouting community. Is you've got I've talked about this again a lot. You know, Darvish, Otani, Sasaki, all are number ones in the big leagues or project to be number ones in the big leagues. Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who saw relief last night, projects to be number two in the big leagues. You know, Imanaga probably projects to be more of a four, but he still he could be a good big league starter. He's very talented. And I, I I get what they're doing. Also, there's a familiar, familiarity aspect here where Team USA has seen you, Darvish. They have not seen Shota Imanaga pitch ever. So that's another potential edge. Um, I, I get why Japan's doing it. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see if it works. Team USA's hitters are so, so, so good. They might be able to render it all moot anyway. But I, I understand the strategy for Japan, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. The other thing to note with this is... Uh... Other than Suzaki and Yamamoto, the other pitchers, you know, who pitched for Japan, like Taisei Ota threw 12 pitches last night. I don't know that Japan is going to have as it's about bringing pitchers back on uh, no rest uh, for the second appearance, especially with a title on the line. But Jeff is out about this. They've been a little cagey about it. Choi Otani asked about it by Kid Rosenthal after the game was basically said he will be available to do whatever he needs to do. I can't imagine that we're not going to see Shoei Otani both hit and pitch in this game. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I figure that we're seeing Darvish and Otani at some point, but as you said, kind of your dream scenario is seeing Otani face Mike Trout at, at some point in this game. The other thing that just stands out to me is Shoei Otani. Like when I look at, the history of Japanese baseball. Sadahara O has always been kind of the, the gold standard of Japanese baseball. For, to say a Mount Rushmore to go very sports talk, U.S. sports talk radio, it's kind of stupid to throw Mount Rushmore for Japan. Like, you know, and, and they don't have carvings on Mount Fuji. But, but to say, like, if you said, who are the greats of Japanese baseball? You have Sadahara O. You have, you know... It, you after that you had like Hideo Nomo came over, but I would say that Ichiro Ichiro Suzuki is number two, like on the all time Japanese greats. I kind of feel like that that Shoei Otani, in the middle of his career, could be putting himself. He's the best player in the world right now, and and Jeff, like, do you feel like that tonight could be just like another like addition to the greatness of Shoei Otani? Yeah, I think, and I think the expression you're looking for is the Mount Fuji of Japanese baseball. Because no, they don't have carvings on it, though. We have That's carvings fine. on Mount Rushmore. But it's, but it's, but yeah. it's a monument, you know? It's really about yeah. the monument, not necessarily about the destruction of uh, beautiful mountains. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it could definitely add to sort of that legendary air. Uh he gets that to, he get you know does something huge tonight in the moment, another big pivotal moment. Comes in pitches really well, um, you know almost like I I, I can think back to, for some reason I'm like bringing back '90s Red Sox moments, uh, but like when when Pedro came in like in relief on like short rest, uh, I think it was against Cleveland in like the divisional series, and it was like him doing something like that sort of adds to that you know um, that sort of legendary feel or whatever and. You know, I think the other thing, too, is it's not just the Mount Rushmore of Japanese baseball. I know he hasn't won a World Series or anything like that, but I think we talk about this guy as one of the all-time legends of the game. There aren't many athletes in the game of baseball that have ever done the things that he's done 
at the level in the modern game, it's really unprecedented. So, um, and he's, and he's, you know, having been around him talking last night, he's handling all the media and, you know, he's not a flashy guy. He's, you know, very sort of easy, almost soft-spoken, um, seemed very considerate of, of those around him. Even during his BP round, he sort of hit a liner and it was like near somebody and he kind of like ducked out and was like, you okay? Like, they don't necessarily <laughs> see guys do that, right? They're kind of, they got that swagger going, especially a lot of American or or Latin players kind of have that swagger going. They're in the box, whether it's BP or in the game. And, you know, he sort of has that sort of humanity about him too. And I think there's just so much to like about this guy. And certainly if there's a big moment tonight, that's only going to, you know, sort of push up that sort of legendary folklore status onto another level. Um, big national stage playing against the United States in the United States. I think after the last couple of games and how dramatic they've been, some of the big pivotal moments they've been able to put on Sports Center, et cetera. I think you'll get some people tuning in. Like I said, my father doesn't care about baseball at all. He's a big soccer fan. And when I talked to him this morning when I woke up, it was like, wow, you saw a heck of a game last night. Like I tuned into that. I think people are excited now for the World Baseball Classic. And, you know, regardless of some of the commentary, et cetera, um, this could only get even better if we have sort of these two heavyweight, you know, fighters going toe to toe in the middle of the ring all night long. And we have these lead changes like we've had in recent games. Yeah, I think what I'm going to be really interested to see, well, first I have to say my greatest, uh, you know, guy coming out of the bullpen is, is probably the 2001 World Series. Randy Johnson, game six, throws seven innings, comes out mm -hmm. the next night in uh, game seven and throws the final uh, inning in a third to, to get the win there uh, for the D-backs uh, off of uh, Luis Gonzalez walk-off. I mean, coming in a day after and, and throwing an inning in a third was really impressive. Also, Madison Bumgarner in the 2014 World Series falls into this for me as well. But I'm going to be really interested to see the dynamics of Shohei Otani getting warmed up in relief while DHing. That's one of those things that we've talked about when he was first coming over and he started having some injuries. You know, maybe does he move to the bullpen? How do you do this? And we might get a look at how that actually works out in practice. Um, it's it's going to be really cool. I would imagine he'll come in late game situation as long as, again, the score is close. If Team USA runs away with it early, I, I doubt they'd use him. But, yeah, that's going to be really, really exciting to see. And I, I do think this has a chance to be an instant classic like most of these other games have been. The, the thing I am a little bummed for is as much as we're excited about this, and I think a lot of people in the U.S. and North America and Central America are excited about this, uh, there no it does not compare to how excited they are in Japan where when you look at the the TV ratings in blowout games in pool play where the outcome was never in doubt and it's like oh 50% of TVs in Japan were tuned to this the only disappointing thing it's going to come on at 8 a.m. in Japan which is not ideal viewing time it could be worse it could be four in the morning or something like that but it is a little bit disappointing that if the game was on the west coast it meant a little bit later start in the u.s then we'd be talking more like a a 10 or 11 even like okay it's a little bit more like a lunchtime game in japan but that said it, it does make like this the again there's sports talk is sports talk and all that like the faux debate that we had about is is the world baseball classic worth doing uh of last week feel like it was a long long time ago because it's hard to envision something being better than for baseball than what we've had especially this week and it's hard to envision something being better for baseball in the world than what we've had because the key thing I've been covering international baseball for 20 years now and the criticism, let's be clear, sports in general around the world are very European centric. Like the Olympics drives a lot of this and the Olympics are very Euro European aristocracy driven and all of that, right? Like even baseball, when you say, well, who runs baseball? It's run from Europe, the World Baseball Softball Confederation, which may sound a little odd, but it's true. And But if you look at it, the criticism baseball has always faced is it's too limited in scope. You look at the World Cup and teams from multiple continents can win. But in the baseball, it's really the U.S. and Japan and what is you know everyone else doing. And what we have seen in this World Baseball Classic, again, not for the first time, but again, is it has provided opportunities. It has provided that the Czech Republic has now this 
foundational moment. Again, it's been baseball in Czech Republic. I don't want to make it sound like, but this is going to be something where it'll be before this and after this. In Great Britain, it'll be before this and after this because it's now reached another level. Australia but, reaching the quarterfinals, yeah, another continent. Australia. Yeah. We, you have all these things. You have what baseball in Israel now, like you, again, you have countries where baseball becomes more important because they have these moments in the world baseball classic. And now we get another moment, which is the two heavyweights of baseball, Japan versus the U S in a game where this is to put it clearly, this is a, this is also, this is not a, a game with an asterisk to it, right? When they play in the Olympics, it's been an asterisk type game, things like that, where Japan has always been more willing to, to make sure that its best players get to these international tournaments than the U.S. ever is. That's not true of the World Baseball Classic. You could argue that, okay, the U.S. didn't get the pitching at once, but this is the U.S. putting its best in many ways up against Japan's best in many ways in one game, and 12 or 13 hours from when we're recording this, we're, we're going to have a winner. And so I, I do want to, before we wrap this up, Kyle, like what else are you looking for? What else do you expect to see? Or what else do you hope to see tonight uh, from this championship game? First and foremost, one of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani will finally have a title. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely something that, uh, both, both players are deserving of and, and have sadly not been able to get, um, with the angels. I, I will be curious to see if there's a little bit of a hangover effect from Japan, just in terms of they have the long flight, they got into town, they had a workout. They just played a very, very long, dramatic, emotional game. And now they've got to turn around. I mean, less than 24 hours later, first pitch for a championship game against Team USA. Um, Team USA definitely has an advantage here in terms of rest, preparation. And also Team USA, they have all of their you know, A-level arms ready to go in their bullpen. You know, Lance, Lance Lynn and uh, Miles Michaelis, or excuse me, Adam Wainwright, you know, gutting it out through four against Cuba. And then Miles Michaelis coming in and throwing four. That was huge for them. That's one of those unheralded hero type moments there because that allowed them to preserve all their best arms. You know, Team USA has not formally announced who they're going to start. It's Merrill Kelly's day to start, but he did not look good at all against Columbia. He did not have his stuff that day. I actually think Kyle Freeland might be a better starting option given how left-handed Japan's lineup is, at least the, the top hitters in that lineup. Um, but regardless of who starts, Team USA has all their best relief arms and they are fresh. Whereas Japan, you mentioned... Tai Sayota through yesterday. He could go back to back days, but they're going to be a little more limited. That's also why it kind of makes sense, you know, to go Imanaga with, with Darvish and Otani out of the pen potentially is, is to help give you some length in the bullpen because they need it. I, I think that's going to be one of the biggest things I watched is, is just the fatigue factor, how much of a boost that gives Team USA. And the other thing too is this will probably be the first game at least the first, the first major game, I should say, where Team USA is going to have a, a home field advantage. Against Venezuela, they did not have home field advantage. Against Mexico and Phoenix, they did not have home field advantage. You know, Colombia, they did. Uh, that was that was a good Team USA crowd there for Colombia. Great Britain, they kind of did too, but, but those weren't the big games. Um, you know, there are Japanese fans here in Miami. I've been impressed with how many of them have made the trip, but it's not like, you know, if this game was in L.A., it'd be 50-50. San Francisco, Seattle, it'd be 50-50, maybe even 60-40 Japan. It would be wild. San Diego probably too, potentially. Um, but in Miami, Team USA should have a good home field advantage. And I'll be curious to see how that, you know, plays into it as well. So I think those are the two things I'm looking for is, you know, small things that, that could give Team USA a little bit of an edge here. It's going to be so fun. I am jealous. You guys will be at the ballpark. I'll be watching, you know, from afar. But I also say, like, I do also enjoy, I, I, you know, Kyle's a, a, a grizzled veteran of World Baseball Classics, but I was I was texting with Jeff yesterday. And it's like, are you having fun? Because it is enjoyable to also watch, you know, when staff gets to go to the first time to one of these. Like, it, it is, it is whether it's the first or your, or your fifth, it does not matter. This is an incredible event. But, it's going to be so fun tonight. 
We will have all the coverage, baseballamerica.com, both today and tomorrow. And who knows, maybe we'll have to pot about this one more time as well, because depend if it's anything like it was in last night's game, I think we'll have to, because I think we could, I mean, we, we've got an hour. We could go longer. We didn't dissect that game to the level we could, but maybe we'll do that tomorrow. So for Jeff and Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.